The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to episode, we actually don't know, of the Hidden hey, Yardage hey, Podcast. Hey, out of here. hey I, I got it, I got it, I got it. You are listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane, and it's episode 1043. For your information, Sean Martin. Yes, yeah, so Mark Lane is back, and he was always the keeper of what episode number we were on. I regret to inform him right now that when you heard me and David Hellman, LP Cruz, several members of our Blogging the Boy staff, I went and switched to the season's you know, the week of the season we were in, but now order is restored. Mark, not only are you back, and it's great to have you, but we have our episode numbers back, so that feels pretty good. Yes, yes, it, we do have them back, but this is in, um, well, I guess we're, we still have the Monday night game, so we're completing week 12 of the regular season, if you want to keep tabs that way, but uh, yeah, I here Dallas is at 8-3, and three, and they're frankly at an optimistic moment and one of the hottest teams in the NFC, which is a funny thing to say because they're not even the top team in their division. It's That's what's crazy about this season so far, Sean, is the Cowboys are playing some of their best football, I would say, of the Dak Prescott era, at least since his rookie season, and they're not even the best team in the division. It's crazy. And there certainly are merits to, and I've written about this on our front page, of having, you know, that carrot to chase, if you will. That's what I've been referring to it as with the Eagles. You know, we're going to get into later in the show kind of the upcoming schedules for both those teams, and they definitely tell a different story, not only based on who the opponents are, but the way the teams are playing then going into those games. And, you know, the same conversation we had last year with the Cowboys of did they peak too soon? Was their best football behind them by the time they hit the playoffs? All that was certainly the case, and you know I think we're getting close to having that have that conversation with the Eagles, where the Cowboys could really, you know, if they do it correctly, could benefit from, you know, having this season-long chase of not hearing right from the jump like they did last year, how great they are and how good everything is. You know, we came on here after the Bucks game, and it was like trying to talk about any possible way to save the season. You know, you're lying to yourself as a Cowboys fan if you didn't think that it was a chance that the season could have already been lost by the time they lost the opener to Tampa Bay and their starting quarterback in Prescott for a couple of weeks. So to go from that conversation to now, you know, fighting for the best team in the NFC, having that character chasing the Eagles that keeps you motivated, keeps you hungry to keep improving and play the, you know, this beautiful style of complimentary football that they really have found success with. 
you know, it's all pointing up for this team right now with a very favorable schedule in these next couple of weeks. Yeah, and I really think it begs the question of do you believe in this team? If you're a Cowboys fan, um, we know that the team can disappoint you, as Sean alluded to. Um, they, they've historically peaked too early. Let's say that you've only watched the Cowboys in the YouTube era, let's say. I mean, what you know is that Dallas peaks too early, and then by January they're exiting early in the playoffs. I mean, arguably one of the only teams that may that had a shot to go further, which is why the Dez No Catch was so heartbreaking, was the 2014 team because they could play with anybody, and they were absolute road warriors. That was their only uh, road loss of the season. But every other time, it's just the team speaking too early or the team was playing in a poor division, and that's how they were able to punch their ticket to the playoffs. And at 8-3, and three, again, you've got um, six games to go. Are you believing in this team? I really am starting to buy in. You know, it's about as cautiously optimistic as you can or should be as a Cowboys fan. We all know, you know, the history. You laid it out so well there in terms of just how much you should be able to get excited given the track record in the playoffs. But, yeah, I really am starting to buy in. And I think the biggest thing – like I said, is that complementary style of football. I mean, it's all three phases right now. It's a defense that feeds off of, since Prescott's been back, really, you know, some elite offensive production. He's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's up there with the Pat Mahomes and the Josh Allens. We've been talking Bills, Chiefs all year as these two teams that have stood out, and then it's kind of like trying to figure everybody else out, cautiously trying to buy into the Eagles. Some, you know, fans are trying to gauge who could be that third team behind like I said, Kansas City and Buffalo, and the Cowboys are there right now because of what Prescott's doing, because of the way then that the defense can play with the lead and get their pass rush going. It worked, of course, perfectly against Minnesota, that 40-3 to win was just a master class and you know, how you build a lead and run the clock and then get after the opposing quarterback. Kirk Cousins sacked seven times in that game, but even in the Giants game, you know, it wasn't perfect, and the Giants are always pesky, and divisional games are always close. It's a short week. All these things potentially working against you for the Cowboys, including the fact that you fell behind there in the first half. But they just trusted the offense to continue to make big plays, both through the air and on the ground. That's exactly what they did. And the defense took it from there and made the lead hold up. So it's really just a perfect, you know, complimentary team right now. They're unselfish. I think fans, one of the favorite things that the Dallas Cowboys media team puts out is the sound from the sideline every week. And you're seeing that. If you do watch those on Twitter or wherever you may find it, definitely check it out because you're seeing that, you know, the tight end room, all four of them get involved and they play whack-a-mole with the Salvation Army kennel and they don't care who gets the credit there. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott play that dynamic out of the backfield perfectly. And, of course, Prescott, as the facilitator, is one of the best quarterbacks going right now. So, yeah, it's a brand of football that is suiting them really well. They've been building towards this with all the criticism of oh, this doesn't work, you can't roster build this way, it takes too long, you're valuing your own guys too much, you need to make a splash. All these things that they heard, they put their head down, got to work, and it's working, and it has to feel good in the building and has to give them the confidence that you know they, they can take this where they actually want to go, which is, of course, much further in the playoffs than they went a season ago. Again, when you look at the elements of the team that are clicking, um, the, the takeaways, 
they're still right around where they were last year with 16 takeaways, good for seventh best in the NFL. Uh, their points allowed uh, 187 points through Thanksgiving. Um, you know, you got to let the rest of the week 12 play out, but so far that's best in the NFL. Uh, they're, uh, you know, on their, their scoring uh, percentage on drives, 40.5. That's factoring in all of the Cooper Rush era. And they're still ninth best in the NFL at 40.5%. Uh, they, they, you see the way that Dak is still looking like his 2019 20, you know, first five games of 2020, 2021 self. Um, it's like Amari Cooper doesn't matter. And so you've got a premier quarterback under center. It's not necessarily a guy who's being carried by his weapons per se. And you see the full potential unleashed finally. Of Tony Pollard. You see the complimentary run game that's been promised since 2019 with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Uh, the defense, like I said, is just absolutely ferocious. Uh, I, I always reference on Twitter, but I guess my audience is really too young to understand. Everson Walls, when he talked, when he compares, the Cowboys defense to the Showtime Lakers in that it's just if if a defense played fast break basketball, they'd be the Cowboys defense because you're just expecting a TFL, a forced fumble, a batted pass, something on every drive. And you know, Sean, it 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 looks sustainable. Like I said, I mean, you go back, let's say you've only been watching the Cowboys since uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were the number one on Fox back in 2002, which was also Chris Collinsworth. But let's say you've been watching that long. You've not seen as complete and consistent of a Cowboys team as this. And, you know, the next six games, because you've got the attrition that hits every football team, you still got six games to go there for your complexion of your team to change. Um, we'll talk a little bit about another factor that could affect the complexion over the course of the next six games. But, yeah, Sean, I, I really, I, I think, you know, I'm going to believe in this team. And, uh We'll see what happens after that, but I really think that this is, if I did power rankings, I think this is a top five team. Yeah, and if you want to hang your hat on one thing, I think they've done an amazing job of, you know, these good teams they've been playing and beating up on the past couple of weeks. They've taken them out of their game plan entirely and really almost put a sense of panic over, you know, these teams. I mean, they take teams out of the run game, by the way, Prescott's offense is putting up points. They can do everything you know, defensively to get after the quarterback. They want to play that way, but you heard after the Minnesota game, 
or after the Green Bay game going into Minnesota, that those reps have to be earned. You know, you have to stop the run. You have to be fundamentally sound. And then Dan Quinn can have the confidence to do what he does does best and dial up these pressure defenses. And they've excelled at that. So after years of hearing that, oh, the Cowboys game plan themselves are stale. They don't work, whether it's under Garrett or then the criticism that Kellen Moore faced last year. And that the only way, you know, the easy way to beat the Cowboys is to get them out of their game plan, which wasn't so hard to do. The Cowboys are now finally that game-wrecking team. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. I mean, they, the Giants were coming off of a game on Thanksgiving where Daniel Jones had to throw 44 times in the rain, in the wind at MetLife Stadium in miserable conditions that some of my friends and family sat through. And the end result was, you know, a loss to the Detroit Lions, a very disappointing loss at that for Brian Dable's team. So they tried their damn best to stick to the run game there on Thanksgiving at AT&T Stadium. And Quentin Bohanna held up in the middle. Carlos Watkins held up. Also, Diggy Zua made a flash play on an interior run against Saquon Barkley. So the Cowboys will get you out of your game plan. They will make you so uncomfortable with just the way that they can put up points, throw the ball to anybody, Odell Beckham Jr. or not. They have so many targets now that are finding confidence. Michael Gallup had his best game of the season. And then their defense is just a master at getting pressures. So you have to find a way to stop teams and what they do best if you can have a chance in this league. And that I think that's the best way to describe just the way the Cowboys have it rolling right now is they know what they're best at and they go out and execute it for four quarters and they know what the opposing team is best at and they completely just knock them off of that. And Dallas has some reinforcements coming, which has kind of been the theme of uh, this season, if you want to know the truth. And they have one last little uh, power-up that power-up box that they can, you know, hit. And that's Tyron Smith coming back now. Jerry Jones last week on 105.3 The Fan on Tuesday said that that Tyron Smith is a left tackle when he returns. No kidding. Um, But right now your left tackle is Tyler Smith, and it seems to be going okay. Um, Are you... And he struggled a little bit, the rookie has. Are you eager to see Tyron Smith replace Tyler Smith in the lineup? I think I am mainly just for the reason of this is a point I've been making on this show, you know, back when, you know, the last time we were still recording and even before that and on our site. And it's that, you know, the Cowboys have really been benefiting this season from and you never wish for injuries and you don't want to deal with injuries, but you know you're going to have to anyway. But they've benefited from the way that they forced some of the lineup changes and forced Kellmore to adapt. And, you know, that's forced them to have different iterations of this offense. You can't just line up and play the same offense with the same players or not for 17 weeks and expect it to work. And that's kind of what the trap they fell into last year. And it didn't work out at all down the stretch of the season in their biggest games. And it didn't work in a playoff game against the 49ers, to say the absolute least. So you have to go through these things and it's forced them to be different and multiple and put different looks on tape that everybody has to deal with. And, you know, certainly, certainly Tyron Smith can be the latest addition to that. Not only is it, you know, it could have a lot of eyes on him as far as how he can actually hold up at left tackle, but if he's anything like his old self, then that's going to be huge for the pass offense. But how much better can this run game get with Tyler Smith then kicking inside to left guard where he belonged all along after, you know, proving – up to this point that he certainly can be your left tackle of the future, but for now, how much you know, you're trying to win now and you have a ground game that's been dominant. Can it get even better if you have a mauling player like Smith at guard? I think it can. So yeah, it's exciting just for the sake of 
having another lineup change that changes the continuity of the offense. It gives the defense another look that they haven't seen. And yeah, if it all works out, you're going to have your offensive line, you know, your best five out there going into the most important games of the season with with Tyron Smith protecting Dak Prescott's blind side and Tyron Smith being able to get out in space to left guard and, you know, spring some holes for both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. And I think that might have been the genius, although I don't know if they specifically planned it this way, so we'll call it the unintended genius, which I think is a term that's gonna that should be pervasive among Cowboys fans because, you know, I, I saw on Twitter, for example, um, some colleagues of ours who are saying, well, you know, this front office, I always give them hell, but Will McClay, he always knows what he's doing. And, and there's always that element with Cowboys fans, which is, well, Jerry, you know, he's screwing it up and Steven doesn't know what he's doing. But then they go on to compliment something about the roster. And it's like, how could, how could both of those things be true? And I think that's why is because of, quote, unintended genius, unquote. You heard it here first on the Hidden Yardage podcast. Now, having said that, the unintended genius <laughs> of having Jason Peters is here's this all-pro future Hall of Fame left tackle that comes in and gets reps and kicks Tyler Smith inside so he can get some guard action so that he isn't exactly um, aloof and lacking cohesion when they bring Tyron Smith back to have that future Hall of Famer play left tackle. And I think that's partly, you know, like I said, the unintended genius of having Jason Peters on the roster. So, yeah, I I think that the way that this team makes decisions, I think Tyron Smith comes back at left tackle, no questions asked, and Tyler Smith is kicked inside at left guard. An offensive line is probably at the top of the list of, you know, I've talked about the unselfishness of this team being a really good quality for them trying to win in the playoffs going forward. And, you know, it's easy to fall into not having that mindset at, you know, skilled positions like receiver, even tight end though, and running back, they've handled it well. But offensive line, you know, these guys just don't care. They're a cohesive unit that all they care about is, you know, having the five guys on the field who are going to keep their quarterback upright and, you know, be able to wear on teams in the run game and, that's exactly what they've done. So Tyron Smith is such a veteran, so respected not only around Dallas, but in the league that, you know, certainly you don't have to worry about any issues there as far as getting him back in the lineup. And if he's able to perform and play well and play on an every snap type of basis, then yeah, you are going to have your best five out there for these big games down the stretch and for the rematch against the Eagles on Christmas Eve, you know, against the defensive line that could certainly cause some problems. Yeah. And I think that's where it's going is, like you said, I mean, I think that they'll probably just go with Tyron Smith at left tackle. And, you know, the Jason Peters move was one that people wanted to see made throughout training camp, but they didn't exactly make it. Um, or, you know, they wanted to make it as soon as Tyron Smith went down. They waited until, you know, after preseason to go ahead and make that move. Just one of many puzzling moves, head-scratching moves that the front office has made. At this point in the season, Sean, it's 8-3. and three. There's excitement. There's consistency. Uh, was the front office right with their free agency moves that they made in uh, letting half-ass availability go 
and taking a pass in free agency and then, you know, signing, we like our guys. <laughs> As we remind our audience, that was almost the name of this show, uh, that we like our guys, Monica from Stephen Jones there, but instead it's hitting the yardage. And, you know, I think the thing with this offseason is it pairs pretty similarly to what they did last offseason. And that gives us a nice, you know, two-year sample size of what this team is going to look like in free agency. And, you know, we can criticize the cop men from there. So you look at the last two years and yeah, it's exactly what they set out to do. And it's not flashy, but they look to just get guys who can take snaps, contribute. And then they draft so well that, you know, they know to go in and get guys there. And this year's draft class, of course, making a huge impact so far with some more guys potentially on the way, you know, whether it's the end of this season or not going into next year. But, you know, this off season, you brought back guys like Michael Gallup, Dwayne Armstrong was of course, you know, thrust into the role of being a replacement for Randy Gregory. And I'll mention, you know, some stats on that in a second, but Molly Cooker is still here and you see him pop out on tape every Sunday. And Leighton Vanderess has been one of your best run defenders. He did a great job against the Giants as well and coverage him and Damone Clark. You know, Daniel Jones is looking for those tight ends on all those checkdowns of Parsons and Lawrence chasing after him. And he wasn't able to get those throws because of the linebackers. And that's all I had to some of those pressures and checks and big plays on Jones. Jaron Coast, of course, still being a leader on this defense. Carlos Watkins held up against the run in his rotational role there at defensive tackle. And then you know, your outside guys, Dante Fowler is the most notable probably in terms of being part of that two-for-one pairing. Do you want two when it comes to Armstrong and Fowler? were one with Randy Gregory and you know the stats so far, Gregory's been hurt, only played in four games, has two sacks, Dwayne Armstrong has two games with at least two sacks and eight on the season. He's getting paid seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars per sack if you break down the contracts and Gregory getting paid seven million per right now. And that was from Dan Rogers, a great member of our BTB staff. So yeah, the all season it looks good this year. If you go back to last year, you know, a lot of those guys aren't still here, but they contributed last year in a season that still went to the playoffs. So we have the sample size to know that, you know, this team sets themselves up nicely in the offseason. This year was based more on you expecting the NFC East to be down again. So you thought you could repeat that type of miracle with, you know, just signing these guys off the street who might not be the biggest names, but it would be more than enough to help you win a week division again. And to their credit, it's not helping them win a week division. It has them in the race and the best division in football. So, yeah, a lot of credit is due for the way that this team just st- stuck to their guns, trust what they do well in free agency, trust what you do in the draft. And it's working to an extent where, you know, they might feel like they're good enough to go make that all-in move. Like we talked about in our first ever episode of this, you know, how do you be more like the Rams? Every team needs to be more like the Rams. Well, how's that working out for the Rams right now? You know, they're selling themselves. They're not playing well at all. They have so many injuries. Their core, you know, you could say is past its prime at some spots and they don't have the draft picks to replace it. So would you rather be them? Yes, with a Super Bowl last year, but still, would you rather be them or the Cowboys doing this thing the right way? They haven't sold their whole future out yet, but they are in a position to potentially mortgage a little bit of that future you know, if they feel like this is actually the team to go get them that Super Bowl and they're talking good so far. So, yeah, the offseason deserves a lot of credit and the guys who are taking snaps are playing a lot of meaningful snaps and not getting hurt. And they're just, you know, that's what you need on a team to come down the stretch of a 17-game season. And I think that's where Will McClay and also Director of Pro Scouting Alex Loomis, who, by the way, is the son of New Orleans Saints general manager, Mickey Loomis, but I think that's really where they've they've earned their keep because you'll notice that they basically 
they provided the Joneses the data to say to give the Joneses the confidence to say, "Now nah, we're going to go with Dorrance Armstrong over Randy Gregory. We're going to go with Dante Fowler as a complimentary piece to that. We're going to go with Noah Brown as a replacement for Cedric Wilson because C.D. Lamb will replace Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup replaces Michael Gallup. And then James Washington will replace C.D. Lamb. And then Jalen Tolbert, who they draft, will become, you know, just another piece that we can put in there to give us insurance when Noah Brown leaves or we get in trouble with the C.D. Lamb contract. So I I think that those moves that they've made in looking at players on their roster and then replacing them, you know, with the we like our guys philosophy, I think that that has paid off for them because of the data Will McClay and Alex Loomis provided. If they were wrong, then I think everybody would be singing a different tune, including you and me, and uh, maybe the Rams wouldn't be the, you know, the poster children of how to do it either because it has collapsed for them. But that's what happened in 2019 as well was it collapsed on them, um, but they still remained aggressive and then got back into the playoffs in 2021. But um, I, I think that Will McClay and Alex Loomis – deserve some credit for being able to convince the Joneses that they could comfortably let half-ass availability go and just go ahead and replenish them with low-cost guys that were already highly productive on the roster. And so much of the NFL is chasing just all oh, this shiny thing, you know, oh, the Rams won this way, so let's go. Let's all go be more like them. Someone new wins it this year, it'll all shift back towards – doing that, but I, I don't think the general fan this year yet has bought into the Cowboys. And when they do, and they start looking into how this roster was built, I mean, it's only going to be even more hype and optimism for this team because, I mean, man, you're, you know, right now you're asking yourself, where did Peyton Hendershot come from? Who's Jake Ferguson? Where's, who are these receivers? And, you know, we know about Parsons being a first-round pick and even exceeding, you know, if, if it's possible to exceed expectations as a first-round pick, he's found a way. And then everybody else on this defense, Dan Quinn's getting the absolute most out of. So when it does come time for the Cowboys, you know, maybe, maybe if they string together a few more wins, of course, for the average fan and really start buying into them being this best team in the NFC like we think they all are, you know, it's going to seismically shift the way we look at, you know, team building in terms of them, you know, those front office guys, like you said, getting that credit, getting the attention of, man, this team is set up not only for this year, but they got all these guys on rookie contracts and, stealing them off the street and, you know, this team is, you know, a team of the future type of thing. Obviously, some of that sounds like I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, and I am, but for now, they're just in such a good place as we get into, you know, what their schedule looks like these next couple of weeks. you got a winnable game against the Colts on Sunday Night Football, the Houston Texans, the Jaguars, and that sets you up for your next meeting with the Eagles. So, you know, it is fair to get a little bit ahead of yourself with this team right now just because they haven't always really so many weaknesses in these past two outings. We'll talk about that schedule here in a second, but I think that's what's been successful is I think Dan Quinn knows how to work with Will McClay and the scouting staff in identifying players that he can use. I think 
prior coaching staffs, defensive staffs, were just kind of like, well, I, I can coach anybody. Just give me somebody. And that didn't exactly prove out. Yeah. I think Quinn knows how to basically use McClay in the scouting department as sort of like his Santa's wish list of what he's looking for in a player. And they have the resources to go out and find those guys, you know, which explains Sam Williams. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a good example. I'm glad you stuck with defensive end because, you know, we talked about specifically the guys you brought in to replace Randy Gregory. And, you know, Gregory's more that just hands in the dirt right side rusher, a valuable position, one of the most important in football, no doubt. But, you know, it's kind of the only spot he can line up at and be as effective as you want him to be, especially given the money the Broncos then gave him. And his replacements are guys who play all over the field now because of Quinn. Armstrong can rush from the A-gap. They move him around, do such a good job blitzing him. Dante Fowler can play on both sides. And then Sam Williams, you know, even can go up against guards, defensive tackle, and hold up just fine there. So, it's not, it's not just a matter of would you rather have Gregory or these other three defensive ends who do the exact same thing. It's, you know, would you rather have Gregory or these other three chess pieces that make up one of the deepest, most talented defensive lines in the whole league, whole NFL, and one that, you know, really has carried this team. And we've been talking since training camp about the defensive line potentially being the best unit on this team, and they've absolutely proven that they are. Yeah, and for the Cowboys and Dan Quinn and that defense – uh, they can really keep the praises headed their way if they show up throughout this December slate. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. But here's my thing, Sean, is... I'm wondering if you're having the same feelings, uh, even with the Eagles beating uh, the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football. Do you think that the Cowboys can catch the Philadelphia Eagles and wrest control of first place in the NFC East? Now, I know it seems like a tall task right now. Dallas is 8-3, and three, and then Philadelphia, they just moved to 10-1 and one with a win over the Packers, but check this out. With the Eagles' next three games heading into that contest with Dallas, they have Tennessee coming into the link. Then they begin a three-game road trip starting in Week 14 at the New York Giants 
who aren't a slouch, and that's a three-game road trip. Back-to-back road games unto themselves are a tall task. Look what happened with Dallas, and uh, they go to Green Bay, then they go to Minnesota, but nevertheless, lose, win. So you figure they could, if they drop at least one game of the next three games that they're playing, and then Dallas uh, wins their next three games, they have the Colts on Sunday night, they have the Texans coming in to AT&T Stadium, then they go to the Jacksonville Jaguars in Week 15. If Dallas is 11-3 and and Philadelphia is... Um, um, Twelve and two, heading into that matchup. I mean, those are the ingredients you need for a merry Christmas for Dallas to win and take control of the East. Uh, is this pie in the sky? Uh, is this just as sugar plums in the fans of Cowboys fans' heads? It certainly gets harder after tonight. You know, the Packers, of course, didn't do you any favors. They lose this game in Philadelphia, forty to thirty-three. That score probably not. All that indicative of how the game actually played out. The hype was already building before Sunday Night Football even signed off with, you know, Collinsworth and all those guys really just having every graphic and every possible way to tell you that the Eagles are well on their way to this one seed and barely even mentioning the Cowboys and more so mentioning the Vikings in terms of being that team in the race with them. But they did so the schedule. You already highlighted the Eagles schedule for the Vikings. They have to play all their division rivals still on the road again. They have to play the Jets, who, you know, have a little bit of momentum now after what they did on Sunday with Mike White. So, you know, certainly not out of the question to think that Kirk Cousins and the Vikings could have that swept up game or that any team could have that swept up type of game. But yeah, the Eagles got back to form in a big way. I mean, the rushing yards were just absolutely ridiculous today. Sunday night, jumps off the page to you. They went and ran for 363 yards. That's way more than a previous season high this year, which was 216 way back in week one at the Lions. And part of that was just that game being so high scoring. They won that game at the Lions 38 to 35. So, you know, these games all play out differently, but the Eagles had to kind of look themselves in the mirror a little bit after last week against the Colts. They were being doubted. They had to come from behind against the Colts team that they should have handled. This is the Packers team that they were expected to handle you know, by more than they ultimately did anyway. But like I said, the score might not paint the whole story of just how dominant they were, taking the ball away from Aaron Rodgers while he was still in the game, pounding it behind that massive offensive line and just playing their style of football. I praised the Cowboys on this episode for, you know, saying the best thing they've done all season is knock other teams out of their game plan. Well, I think the best thing you can say, just being objective about this Eagles team right now is, they can't be knocked off their game plan. They're going to stick to what works for them and make it work for four quarters. And it was really beautiful performance by them to go get that done. So sure, there's still a glimmer of hope for the Cowboys to catch them. And there's still a lot in front of this team. I think the biggest reason for hope for the Cowboys right now is not only, of course, just the way they're playing, but, you know, we hear what these coaches say. It doesn't seem like they're in a position to really have that letdown game once again, whereas the Eagles certainly still could. They were in that conversation before, then beating Green Bay on Sunday night. But as far as like the Cowboys having a letdown in Jacksonville or any of these games that would be expected to win, you know, it doesn't feel like that's going to be you know something that they let happen with the veteran leadership on this team. So as long as you're in position to do that, yeah, the loss that you had head-to-head against the Packers still hurts because you know, then you can turn the page and say they also lost to this Eagles team. But it's in front of this Cowboys team. They just need to make sure they don't have that, that letdown game once again before Christmas Eve, and then 
and it'll be all eyes on that matchup. Yeah, and here's why the math on that works is because the Cowboys right now only have one loss in the division. It's to the Eagles. The Eagles have one loss in the division. It's to Washington. On Christmas Eve, if Dallas comes out of that matchup with the same record as the Eagles, but Philadelphia has two division losses, Dallas is in first place with two games to go in the regular season. Obviously, they'd have to close it out. Here's what I think the NFL would like to see, Sean, is in Week 18, Dallas in a win-or-get-in game for Washington. If Washington wins, they punch their ticket to the playoffs. If Dallas wins and Minnesota loses, um, then uh, Dallas gets the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, Philadelphia has to beat uh, New York to secure the number one seed in the NFC, and then Minnesota has to win. I think that's what the NFL would like to see in Week 18. Oh, no doubt. I mean, Giants seem to always get up for those light season games, no matter what their record is, and it's looking like by the end of the year, you know, it's not going to be, of course, what the Giants thought they might be, just based on how they played much earlier in the season. So, yeah, they'll still be up to play with potential spoiler role if that's all they're playing for at this point. But how about the fact, Mark, that, you know, if the playoffs started today, all four NFC's teams would be in the playoffs. And that's, you know, such a compliment to the Cowboys, who we said all offseason, you know, the only reason this team-building strategy works because of depending on the division being down again and getting those potential six easy wins again and Prescott being the best quarterback. That's all great, but it doesn't work when you get into the playoffs against really good teams. Well, here we are talking about them fighting for the number one seed in the whole conference to come out of a division that features three other playoff contenders right now. So, And if not contenders, you know, playoff teams to say the least. So, yeah, it's a great uh, division to be fighting for and, you know, something I've gone back and forth on written about at bloggingtheboys.com is, you know, how much merit is there to wanting to be in these competitive games and wanting to almost be playing playoff games in the regular season and having that carrot to chase and not being able to pack it in and say, oh, we're the best team in a weak division, which was the case last year, and kind of being on cruise control before having to get it back up for the playoffs, which is difficult. Every game has a playoff field to it in this division right now. Even this Eagles-Packers game had a playoff field to it. Why Rodgers was still out there and you know, the Eagles showed that they can be that resilient team that can get a win. So they just have to keep taking care of business before that matchup in Dallas, just like the Cowboys have to. Indeed. All right, Sean, let's go ahead and get out of here. And uh, But before we do, let's take a look at some Cowboys birthdays. On Tuesday, turning 52 years old, is Joey Mickey. He played tight end for Dallas in 1993, and I chose him for his name because – you know, it sounds kind of funny. Like, hey, Joey Mickey, what are you going to do? You going to go out and uh, be, just be a run blocking tight end or are you going to catch a pass? Hey. So. Big, big New, big new Jersey Wednesday, Italian restaurant vibes there or something. Yeah, yeah. You just wait till I get a pork roll sandwich. You can find one in Ohio, um, so you got no, really no excuse right now. Oh, you think I can find one? I bet on. you can. You yeah. think I can find one I would do Ohio? some research for you. And, uh, you know, I still want to meet up in Dallas and get that yeah. done. But, yeah. You do that, I will go. I will go find it, and I will. You have, have Waffle it. House there. I know that okay. for a fact because I went to one near Bowling Green's campus, and we won't talk about that. But okay, all right. And then on Wednesday, Larry Brown played cornerback uh, for Dallas from 1991 to 1995, and also in 1998, he turns 53 years old. The Super Bowl 30 champ, uh, MVP, Sean. 
and the MVP of a game that will always have so much significance to me. If you don't know by now, you know, I've put this up on the website and on Twitter. So a lot of fans do know this, but I'm sure some will be hearing this for the first time. The Super Bowl 30 win for the Cowboys over the Steelers happened to be on my birthday. So, you know, growing up, I always heard stories about, you know, how family was managing, you know, trying to get to the hospital and meet me and also see the game or, you know, my dad holding me while he was watching the game or things like that. So everything about the day I was born was always caveated by, oh, also the Super Bowl was going on that day and, you know, who won? And of course it was the Cowboys. So I found that really cool. And it's, you know, it set off a lifelong journey as not only being a Cowboys fan, but now I'm here in Austin, Texas, getting to cover them and do fun things like this. So, you know, who knew? When Larry Brown intercepted two easy passes in that game, that all that could be possible. But yeah, he's a name that certainly I'm from, probably more familiar with than other Cowboys fans my age because of the significance of what he did in Super Bowl 30. Yeah, and then he went to the Raiders, and I thought it was funny. He guest starred on Married with Children after that, after he won Super Bowl MVP. And then in, in the uh, show, he like gave Al Bundy his Super Bowl ring for nothing, you know, just for like 20 bucks or something or a cheap, cheap knickknack. It was funny. Well, and then on Thursday, Steve Walsh, uh, turns 56 years old. He was with the Cowboys from 1989 to 1990. And the owner of the lone win of the 1989 season over Washington that, uh, commonly gets referenced because Dallas went, 1-15 that season. And also on Thursday, the greatest running back <laughs> who never was in Cowboys history. None other than Darius Jackson. He was with the Cowboys from 2016. Came back. It could have been. In 2018 through 2019, he turns 30 years old on Thursday, Sean. Darius Jackson! Yeah, why does that make me feel really old that he's 30? Anyway, is there a better example of a player that you know, hits on the theme we've talked about before in terms of, you know, the training camp hype of, oh man, I have this player that can use in all these ways, best shape of his life, and it doesn't work out. And he was kind of that guy. There was so much excitement for him on kickoffs and Cowboys special teams is not what it is now under John Fossil at the time he was drafted. And, you know, like we said, this Cowboys staff right now is getting so much out of their players, getting them all to play to their potential. Past staff really did not, you know, do that at all times. And, you know, Jackson was a player that potentially kind of hurt from that a little bit. They just never got his full skill set going. You know, how much that's on him as well if it's not developing and things like that can be discussed. But yeah, never worked out for him here. But as we know, running backs are a very special position in Dallas because if you play it, even for a preseason snap in a Hall of Fame game, your name will always be remembered on social media and things like that. So yes, he is Cowboys legend Darius Jackson and he, you know, he has earned that title because he played running back here. And I think... What Darius Jackson represents is really the greatness of where NFL fandom is right now. Because you had so many people who, it's not even, I don't even think it's fair to call anybody armchair quarterbacks anymore. I mean, there's probably armchair quarterbacks. But there's really, you know, guys who study a lot of data, watch a lot of game film, pay a lot to look at the all 22 and everything and really come up with just well thought out concrete arguments for guys like Darius Jackson from the information they have. And they're like, Hey, you know, I think he can do this. I think he's going to be good, blah, blah, blah. 
But then you have what we don't have access to, and that's the coach's film of practice. That's how guys behave in the locker room. That's how guys carry themselves around the facility, which is something that Jason Garrett would mention in his press conferences, which is, hey, you know, we look at these guys, how they carry themselves in the hallways here at uh, Valley Ranch and, you know, later the star. And I think all of that went into why they're just like, nah, we're going to pass on Darius Jackson. But when you only have what the fans were able to see, it was like, how could they not give this guy a chance? Oh, they blew it. Darius Jackson walks with Tony Pollard could run. Let's not forget that. Ah, there we go. There we go. Hey, Sean, it's been great getting back here to uh, the Hidden Yardage podcast. Uh, you and David did a great job. Um, I'm, you know, very appreciative of how David stepped up to the plate. And, um, you know, I'm very thankful. And it is so good, so good to get back and really just chop it up and talk about it because so many things have happened with this team. And I haven't been able to, you know, to express any of it. So it's been great. Absolutely, Mark. So great to have you back. You know, sometimes things in life are bigger than football, so you have to prioritize and step away. But, you know, Cowboys fans are so committed, so loyal, and there is so much to talk about right now that, you know, no matter what's going on, you, you know, you got to try to make time for this team. They're exciting right now. And, you know, so that's what our listeners do. And we sure do appreciate it. And, you know, on a personal level, this has been a show to, of course, talk football and Cowboys. And we do that. But it's also been a platform for, you know, everything from talking about my favorite diners to go to back in my home state with Jesse Hawley, who's also from New Jersey and former Cowboys receiver. And, you know, a platform to talk about what it's like going to Kenny Chesney concerts in Montana. So all kinds of fun things that we've covered that we can now get back to. Um, so definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, he's, you know, Sean mentioned all the stuff he does, which means we don't talk about what I do unless it's the pursuit of a pork roll sandwich. That we can talk about. <laughs> but no, for real, well, you find like one. Like I said, Ohio is going to make it happen soon. You find one in Ohio because at least I'm in the right time zone now, Sean. So at least I'm in the yeah, right I want to see the FanDuel. T- someone out there has got to have a FanDuel ticket of who is going to record an episode of Hidden Yardage in the Eastern Time Zone first. Made a lifelong, up to this point, New Jersey native who now resides in Austin or, you know, you. So now you're in Ohio and it's Eastern Time. The only chance, if you're still there over Christmas, we might actually get a double Eastern Time Zone now because I am planning on being back home for Christmas. So I might be in the New Jersey slash Delaware tri-state area. And, you know, if you're still in Ohio, then we'll get a double Eastern Time Zone. So Well, I got to tell you, Eastern Time Zone's great for the Jerry stuff. For example, because back in Central Time, it was like, oh, it's 8.30, I got to get up. Uh-huh. But now yeah. it's like, oh, Jerry's at 9.30. Wow. Or even It's pretty Steven, brutal for night games. Though. Yeah, it's like, or Steven on Fridays. Oh, he's 4 o'clock. I've got all the time in the world. So it, on that aspect, Eastern Time's great. But then when I'm watching the primetime games, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's 8.30 at night and it's the third quarter. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I still feel that way watching some of the primetime games in Central just because I get up early for my full-time job. So, you know, but it is an improvement over Eastern. And, you know, I, I can remember plenty of family members falling asleep during some of those late-night games and ended up having the TV to myself while, you know, somebody's sleeping in the arms here next to me because it's late and the game is still on. For sure. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. 
Follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher, the Hidden Yardage Podcast. And we're wrapping it up. Episode number 1054. No. Yeah. 10. Yeah. 10. <laughs> 40. Whatever. We're wrapping it up. So there it is. Yeah.